We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Um, Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs, Proverbs 9. Proverbs 9. Proverbs 9 says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live, and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Morning. Hey, my name is Sam. I'm one of the pastors here, if we haven't uh, had a chance to meet yet. And I'm glad to be with you guys. I'm glad to be uh, worshiping with you. We find ourselves this week uh, on on week two of a brief series uh, called Poems and, what is it? Poems and Poetry. Yes. Uh, Poems and Proverbs. Yes. Uh, We've gone through several different renditions of what this uh, series is called, as you can tell. But um, yeah, we're just taking a, a few weeks to go through several psalms and proverbs that sort of stood out to us as pastors, and we find ourselves today in Proverbs 9. And so I'm excited to uh, dig in with you guys, and I'll just ask that you join me in prayer, and we can, we can get straight to it. Oh God, we need you this morning. I'm reminded today that the pursuit of wisdom in fear of you is lifelong. And in and of ourselves, we lack the endurance and the longevity to stay vigilant and aware of the wiles of Lady Folly. Apart from you, we are not wise. Apart from you, we choose folly time and time again. Holy Spirit, we are incapable of coming to Christ, the source of all riches of wisdom and knowledge apart from your guiding, teaching, comforting, and revealing ministry. So please, give us eyes to see Jesus this morning. Convict those of us who have been dwelling in Lady Folly's house 
with true self-awareness. And God, protect us from despair. Remind us of the love of God. Kindly draw us into the house of Lady Wisdom. And please comfort and instruct and convict your people this morning with such a feeble sermon as this. We ask for these things only in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So today, you and I are invited to make a decision. We're forced with two different invitations vying for our attention. We're beckoned to walk down one of two paths. And there is no, there is no point at which these two parties merge. There's no point at which these two roads merge. Lady Wisdom invites us to her party, and Lady Folly invites us to hers. And we're invited to walk down two different roads that head in two different directions. And we're therefore forced to decide. To go down one path is to necessarily forsake the other. And yet, even though these two parties are mutually exclusive, that is, we can't We can't be attending both of them at the same time. So even though they are mutually exclusive, we often vacillate from path to path. We fluctuate between the two. It's not uncommon for us to to look up and realize where we are. Wait a minute. This isn't Lady Wisdom's house. I've been in Lady Folly's house for weeks. In truth, this choice between these two paths lies at the heart of the book of Proverbs. Right? And so, so let that be a tip to you. Some, sometimes we can feel intimidated by this particular book because it feels like we don't know exactly what to do with it. Where, what are some of the guiding principles? And this is one of them. It's this fundamental choice between lady wisdom and lady folly. Wisdom is personified as a woman and folly is also personified as a woman. And right at the outset, I want to spoil the ending for you with two, uh, two truths. And the first is this. The choice to take Lady Wisdom up on her invitation is the choice of following Jesus. There is no conceivable scenario in which you and I can truly attend Lady Wisdom's party and not worship Jesus. He's the guest of honor at that party. He's the bread and wine we consume at that party. He's the music to which we dance at that party. He's the host and the server at that party. Indeed, he's the house in which Lady Wisdom's party occurs. So the invitation of Lady Wisdom comes from the lips of the God-man, Jesus Christ. We're invited to come. In coming to Lady Wisdom, we are invited to come to the wisdom of Christ. Second, although the decision between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly is, is a mutually exclusive decision... And though you may spend your entire life journeying down the path of wisdom, our hazardous reality, the dangerous reality that you and I live in, is that as long as we live in this fallen world, Lady Folly will ever be in earshot. She will ever be in earshot. Indeed, the decision to attend Lady Wisdom's party and cherish Christ instead of attending Lady Folly's Party is a decision that we face every day. There will be a day when the sound of Lady Folly's voice will be drowned out by the sound of music and laughter and joy of Lady Wisdom's 
party in the new heavens and the new earth. There will be a day when that happens, but as long as creation groans and aches for that day, we will have to actively shun Lady Folly's invitation. She's persistent, and so we will have to be persistent as well. With that said, let's jump into our text. I want to look at the three major scenes of this passage, beginning with Lady Wisdom's invitation, starting in verse 1. Let's read this together again. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So wisdom has thrown a party and she spared no expense to make sure that her guests feast, right? She's slaughtered her beast, she's mixed her wine, she's baked her bread, And the invitation to all is to come and sit at her table and feast on this meal that she has prepared free of charge. She is personified as as being incredibly generous. We're invited to come to her meal with nothing. No party favor, no cover charge, no side dish. And we're promised to have our bellies filled. But notice, the invitation does cost something. In order to make into the house, we have to leave our simple ways and walk in the way of insight. No one leaves this meal unchanged. In other words, you are not invited to this meal in order to receive unconditional affirmation for the trajectory that you are on. That is not Lady Wisdom's way. You are invited to come to a feast already prepared, and you aren't required to bring a thing. You aren't even required to be wise to enter into this party. But if you stay, you will be transformed. You will be changed. You will not be affirmed in your part in your, in your folly. You will be corrected. You will learn the way of understanding. She asks for you to deny your folly in order to come into her house and become wise. Now, I want us to contrast this kind of invitation with Lady Folly's invitation, which begins in verse 13. Look at verse 13 with me. The woman Folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. How different this invitation is. Where Lady Wisdom prepares a feast for you, Lady Folly has prepared nothing. Instead of steak and bread and wine, Lady Folly suggests that you settle for stealing a little bit of bread and water, and she expects for you to believe that it is magically tastier than Lady Wisdom's meal simply because it's stolen. Where Lady Wisdom has offered us everything and required for us to forsake our foolish trajectory Lady Folly has required nothing of us. She's not asking for us to give anything up 
and she has nothing to give. She encourages you in your folly. She affirms your already sinful impulses and desires and doesn't ask for you to turn aside from them. And I want you to notice as well the contrasting tones of these two parties. The former, Lady Wisdom's party, is open and shameless and honest and joyful. Right? Think of full plates and full belly laughing, the kind that, that leaves your face red and a little sore from smiling so broadly. That's Lady Wisdom's party. Lady Folly's party, on the other hand, is secret. She invites you to lean in for a whisper and promises bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Her party is no party at all. It's a group of people huddled together in a dark corner, stuffing their faces as quickly as possible to dispose of the evidence, grimly delighted in their wrongdoing, yet constantly looking over their shoulder. All of her party guests look like golems. It's, it's shameful. It's secret and hidden. The first party includes the initial struggle of self-denial and repentance to get in. It includes that. There's this initial struggle and self-denial to get in, but inside it's all joy and life. But the second party includes the initial exhilaration of indulgence but eventually it spirals into the grave. Her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew term to describe the realm of the dead. This passage is saying that Lady Folly's party is a death trap. Now let's go back to that middle section, beginning in verse 7, and we'll see a day in the life of each of these two party guests. Look at verse 7 with me. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. This passage gives us a snapshot of each of these party guests. Right? So a tree is known by its fruit. Your life shows what party you are attending, which invitation you have accepted. And there is no third option. Every living person is attending one or the other party. And the litmus test in this particular passage to show us which part we have chosen is humility and teachability. Lady Wisdom's party guests seem to be marked by an eagerness to actually grow. Right? They, they don't view every correction as a personal offense. They don't view every offer of instruction with suspicion and pride. They want to learn. They want to grow. Lady Folly's party guests, on the other hand, tend to distinguish themselves with a signature judgmental smirk, a raised eyebrow. One commentator, uh, Ray Ortland, says it like this, a scoffer is anyone who never accepts correction. He thinks other people really need his opinions. He is easily offended. He is above other people. And if someone seems to threaten his superiority, he scoffs. 
He mocks. The one-party guest is humble, teachable, eager to grow, and the other is self-important, resistant to correction, and easily offended. And what's at the heart of their difference? What's at the heart of what distinguishes these two party guests? Verse 10 tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. In other words, one who truly fears God cannot demand that others fear and revere Him. Listen, the ridiculous assumption of Lady Folly's party guests is that you are the most important person in the universe, and that to offend you is to throw the earth out of orbit, right? So when you insist that you are the most important entity ever to exist, Every little thing that threatens you becomes treason. But this is major. You just offended the, the central figure of the universe. How dare you? But when you fear and revere God, you can no longer take yourself that seriously. You come to realize you're just not all that big of a deal. Bowing down and insisting that others bow down to you becomes laughable when you fear and revere God. Which leads me to two important implications in light of this passage. And the first is this. If you do not fear God, you cannot have wisdom. No fear, no wisdom. Allow me to correct one of the most common misconceptions about biblical wisdom literature in general and the book of Proverbs in particular. It's often believed that the book of Proverbs, that, that, that what is in the, the book of Proverbs is this spiritually neutral collection of helpful insights, as if what was collected here are, are these simple truisms that sort of lay on the ground for anybody who happens to stumble across them. Right? So maybe Solomon finds a few, maybe Confucius finds a few more, maybe Oprah finds the rest. And that is not how this book works. You don't tap into this book's insight without fear of the Lord. And who is this Lord? This capital L-O-R-D, Lord. Pro tip, whenever you see that word Lord all capitalized in your English translation, that's your cue that God's covenant name, Yahweh, has just been translated. Which means the path to true wisdom is not reverence for a God in general. No, it's reverence for Israel's covenant-making God, the God who has personally disclosed himself to his people with the name Yahweh. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. And very important for us, this book is for those who fear Israel's covenant God, Yahweh, and this same covenant God has revealed himself in the New Testament to be triune. We come to fear this triune God, this covenant God, Yahweh, through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except by me. You get wisdom by fearing and revering God, and you fear and revere God in no other way than by submitting to the Lordship of King Jesus. If you don't submit to the Lordship of King Jesus, you are not a God-fearer. Coming to Christ and walking in Him, in other words, makes you privy to a realer reality than this world's narratives have access to. 
And notice what this means for the refusal of coming to Christ. If fearing God is the beginning of wisdom, then the refusal to fear God, the refusal to submit to and worship God, is the beginning of folly. The essence of folly is trying to live in God's world without conforming to God's will. Now, the reality is that God is incredibly gracious, and God-fearers and God-despisers live in the same world, created and sustained with the same symmetry and design embedded therein by the same God. Which means that the fool who says in his heart that there is no God, that's the way that Psalm 14 describes that person, says a fool says in his heart that there is no God. So the fool that says in his heart that there is no God, the fool who has rejected wisdom by refusing to fear God, still lives in God's world and has much knowledge about it. The fool has much knowledge, right? But this doesn't mean that he has true wisdom. He's like the rebellious adolescent who hates his parents and declares, I don't need you, mom and dad, while living in his parents' house, insured by his parents' employers, sleeping on the bed his parents bought, eating food in the refrigerator, his parents stock, bashing his parents online with the phone they provided using the internet services for which they pay. Now, non-Christian, if, you're, if, you're, if, if we have any non-believers here today, at the risk of offending you, let me gently and yet firmly suggest to you that this is in fact your reality. You are living in God's world, receiving all of these benefits from God, while denying that he is, in fact, the benefactor. And I would just urge you to repent. You owe him your grateful allegiance. So that's the first implication. We come to to have knowledge of God. We come to have wisdom in this book by fearing God. That's the thing that taps us into the wisdom in this book, the fear of God. And the second implication is this. True wisdom is formation. It's life formation. True wisdom, biblical wisdom, is not limited to the intellect. Lady wisdom does not invite you to come into her house and simply lounge as you speculate about the deep mysteries of the universe. Right? She invites you to think about those things deeply, but she invites you to do so within the context of eating and drinking and laughing and sleeping and cleaning up the dishes and folding the laundry. Biblical wisdom, is, in other words, is concerned with the whole person. Right thinking and right living are the two hands of a wise person. Biblical wisdom is about character formation and ethical uprightness just as much as it is about intellectual growth. And this means, this is very important, this means that there is a uniquely wise, a uniquely Christian way of doing everything. There is a uniquely Christian way of doing everything. When we talk with our spouses and kids, when we eat our meals, when we do the dishes, when we engage on social media or think about politics or date or spend our money or receive insults or save for retirement, we should be thinking, what is the uniquely wise, uniquely Christian way of doing this? We cannot be wise and be unconcerned with our conduct. Biblical wisdom 
is intended to get into our bones and change us, change the way that we do things. So let's just use one example. If we ask the question, what's the uniquely Christian way of engaging on social media? What's the uniquely Christian way of engaging on social media? Lady Wisdom has things like this to say. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Proverbs 12, 17. She says things like, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. She says things like, this is my personal favorite. A fool is full, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. That's Proverbs 29, 11, if you think I'm making it up. I'm just venting. Uh-oh. <laughs> In all this, we see that wisdom is not concerned with just correct information. It has to be concerned with no less than that. But it also has to be concerned with so much more. It is certainly so much more. Wisdom is none other than godliness. Wisdom is godliness. Now let me leave you with two pastoral charges in light of everything that we just read. The first is recognize the voice of Lady Folly. We must recognize the voice of Lady Folly. Verse 13 of our proverb tells us that Lady Folly, it describes Lady Folly as a seductress. And this is fitting because seduction does not create sinful desires. Did you know that? Seduction does not create sinful desires. It exploits them. Proverbs 7 illustrates how this works. If you want a a long uh, description of how this works, look at Proverbs 7. This is a a snippet from that uh, passage. This is the seductress talking to uh, the, the poor young sap who she comes across in the marketplace. She says, come, let us take our fill of love till the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. This is what Lady Folly sounds like in her most brazen form, right? You'll get away with it. You will enjoy it. Live life with no regrets. Today, gratify your desires. But it's really important for us to know this is not Lady Folly's only speech. Notice at the heart of her strategy, the heart of her strategy is to expose and exploit your sinful desires. She affirms you in your folly, which means much deeper than the explicit temptation to disobey is the idolatry of self. That's the thing that she is exploiting. So sometimes she focuses on the end. She says, you should break this law of God because you deserve everything. But sometimes she doesn't even focus on the end. She just focuses on the means and says things like, you deserve everything. Well, where does that leave you when the law of God is in view? It's therefore important that we learn to recognize the tone of Lady Folly's voice in whatever context we happen to find ourselves in. Her invitations persist as long as we live in this world, and she borrows the lips of many people. 
right? Her words are found on the lips of Satan with that question, did God actually say? And you can hear her voice today still. She asks questions like, does not God simply want you to be happy? Did not God make you this way? Is this not your body? Ought you not cut out toxic people? That's what Lady Folly sounds like. Earlier this month, I had my wife curate a list of Follyisms for me. These are real. These are real phrases spoken by real people. This isn't hyperbole. Lady Folly says things like, follow your heart. You've heard that one before. Follow your heart. She says things like, do whatever makes you happy. She says things like, it's your life, your terms, design it how you want. Or get rid of whatever is not serving you. She says things like, life is about creating yourself. This is my favorite, least favorite one. She says things like, you were not made to be small. You were made to be the hero of your own story. Or love yourself just as much as you love others. You cannot pour out from an empty cup, which sounds to me like an exact mirror opposite of Philippians 2.3. Count others as more significant than yourselves. Now listen, this is not a gotcha. This is not a gotcha moment right now. We ought not gloat. This is serious business because Lady Folly has no shortage of party guests, even among those who follow Christ. Christians are listening to Lady Folly. Don't hear me mocking. Hear me grieving and begging. Don't accept her invitations. It's folly. It will take you to the grave. And don't presume, this is, this is really important, don't presume that you are beyond succumbing to her invitations simply because you may reject outright these explicit proverbs of folly. She invites us implicitly too, undercover. She does so in the rom-com that depicts the fornicating couple who overcomes all odds to find true love. When prudence is thrown to the wind and marriages are destroyed and God's law is despised and bridges are burned, but you and I in the audience are expected to celebrate because the two guilty parties have found true happiness. Does that sound familiar? I'm not thinking of any, in, any particular movie. It's just general the movie, right? The archetypal movie. She offers her invitation to our children. Folly is extending her invitation to our children and virtually every animated film that sells the lie that the ultimate vice is self-denial and that the ultimate virtue is to follow one's heart. Lady Folly is catechizing. Any one of our kids, if we, at, if we start this sentence and we say, finish this sentence for us, whatever you do, be sure to follow your blank. They know the answer. Lady Folly has catechized us. She invites us also in the deep recesses of our minds and our hearts when we harbor resentment for our spouse for failing to recognize our all-importance. She's sneaky, and you must learn to recognize her invitations for what they are. And I must tell you, brothers and sisters, God was very gracious to pummel me with this passage this week. On Tuesday, God used this passage to flatten me 
after an argument with my wife. And my disposition this morning has been very different because of it. Not much of, the con- of any content in this sermon has changed between Monday and Wednesday. But if you would have heard me preach this sermon on Monday, you would have heard a very self-assured man who has it all figured out, oblivious to how easy it is to take Lady Folly up on her invitation, but not so this morning. Lingering right now in my mind is, is a moment earlier this week when I found myself standing at my kitchen sink with the awful and sudden realization, I have been in Lady Folly's house for the past hour. I've been eating her bread. I've been scoffing. And now I'm at the crossroads again. Will I stay here? Will I stay here? Or will I die to myself and pursue Christ? That's the decision this passage confronts us with. And that's the decision that we face daily. We can often find that Lady Folly's invitation is not before us, it's behind us. And that we've been listening to her for way longer than we care to admit. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. But you know what? In those moments, we need to cut our losses, admit our stupidity, acknowledge our sin, and come back into the house of Lady Wisdom. And when we do, Jesus does not shame us. He's not like, where have you been, you idiot? That's not what Jesus does. He is happy to see that we've come to our senses. Which brings me to my second pastoral charge, which is this. Listen to Lady Wisdom and worship Jesus. The road forks at Jesus. It really does. Are we going to listen to Lady Wisdom, which is to pursue Christ-likeness, or are we not? Are we going to stay in our same foolish trajectory? To reject Jesus, to reject the way of Jesus, is to reject wisdom. It's an oxymoron to be wise according to biblical standards and also persist in refusal to submit to Jesus. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and we fear God through Jesus and nowhere else. Colossians 2.3 tells us that all the riches of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. You cannot get God's wisdom without coming to Jesus and walking in Him. Walking in Him, being Christ-like. We long for intimacy with Christ because we know that in Him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Ultimately, the way of wisdom, the way of Christ, is the way of life. Leave your simple ways and live, says Lady Wisdom. She invites us to enjoy a meal that she has prepared for our sustenance. It's life-giving to follow the path of wisdom. Likewise, Jesus invites us to enjoy a meal. It's signified here in communion, but the substance of this meal is nothing other than his body and blood, the, the, the person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. He says in John 6, 51, I am the living bread from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. We receive Jesus' invitation. We take him up on his invitation to feast on his life 
when we look to him in faith as our only provision and sustenance for life, now and forever. When we say, Lord Jesus, apart from your perfect life on my behalf, I have nothing. Apart from your perfect death on my behalf, I am doomed. Apart from your resurrection on my behalf, I am hopeless. Apart from your heavenly intercession on my behalf, I cover my face in shame. I am starving and I need you. Apart from you, Jesus, I die. When we say that, when we say that kind of prayer, we have come into the house of Lady Wisdom and have begun to feast on her meal. We have come, into, we have come to Christ to feed on his flesh. And that is the meal. That is a meal that we as Christians must never leave. We never leave that neediness behind. That desperate, I'm going to starve if I don't feed on Christ, is something that we as Christians never leave behind. We are to remain that needy always. Christ must be our food, our provision of life always. And every thought and every action in every relationship, in every choice of entertainment, in every plan, Christ is Lord over all. That is the way of wisdom. And this is what we meditate on as we celebrate this meal of communion together. We do this every week here at Emmaus. And this week we're coming to celebrate that in coming to Christ, we have come to the infinite riches of God's wisdom. We've chosen to heed the invitation of Lady Wisdom. Therefore, believers, as you enjoy this meal, this meal of fellowship purchased for you by the blood of Jesus, let this be a comfort to you. God has not left you to conjure up wisdom on your own. So be comforted by this meal. Be comforted by this meal. And don't despair or be intimidated by the wiles of Lady Folly. This meal shows you that you are resourced beyond what you can imagine. If you have come to Christ, you are resourced beyond what you can imagine. And in taking this meal, you are reminding yourself and everyone else here that Lady Wisdom's invitation is a good one. That you are heeding Lady Wisdom's invitation. That you have chosen her party. That you have come today and forevermore to Jesus to walk in his way in obedience to him. And if you have entrusted yourself over to Christ, please don't take this meal this morning. It would be an act of testifying that you have chosen the path of Lady Wisdom. But if you haven't submitted yourself to Christ, if you haven't agreed with him about your sin and entrusted, entrusted in his life, death, and resurrection alone on your behalf for your only hope, you have not yet, in fact, chosen the path of wisdom. So instead of pretending, we would invite you to watch us as we testify the path that we've chosen. And sit in your seat and consider the crossroads set before you. You stand here today at a forked road. You can continue along the path of Lady Folly, or you can come to Christ. That is the option. To cry out to Him in faith and thereby join Lady Wisdom's party. You can make that choice today, non-believer. And listen, this is great news for you. It doesn't matter if you came to that fork many years ago and you've been trotting down the path of Lady Folly for a decade, right? 
Let's say you came to that choice years ago, and you realized that you were there. You said, this is my option to take Christ up on his offer for me. And you said no. And you've been trotting down the path of Lady Folly for a decade. And now you're thinking, man, it is going to take forever to cover the distance to get back to Christ. Guess what? You don't have to. The fork is right here. You turn around thinking that you have this big, long road to get back to Jesus, and boom, he's right there. It's like you're transported right back there. So you don't have to cover the distance you've traveled to get back to Jesus. He's right here, and we would invite you to do that as you watch us testify to the path that we've chosen. I'm going to pray and then ask for the believers to come down to my left. You'll take from the bread and dip it in the cup and return to your seat to my right this way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that the path of wisdom has not been hidden from us. We pray in faith that you would continue to minister to us this morning with the word preached and now the word obeyed in this meal, this act of corporate worship. We pray that this would be pleasing to you and that it would be edifying for us. We pray all of these names things in the strong name of Jesus. Love you, Emmaus. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.